We're women. We're moms. We're Muslims. And we're talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm live tonight with uh, Summer Haroon. She is the host of What's the Jai podcast. And Summer, I just uh, am so excited to get this started. So I want you to introduce yourself a little bit to our um, the people watching and let us know what it is that you do. Absolutely. So I am a, a licensed marital and family therapist. So that is kind of my profession, if you might say it like that. And then What's the Tribe podcast is basically a uh, creative brainchild that I had during the pandemic, where I wanted to be able to do something creative, um, while at the same time promote mental health for people who were still dabbling and understanding whether therapy was right for them or re, uh, really needed resources and had a hard time finding it, especially within the South Asian community. So mm. by day, I like to say I'm a psychotherapist and by night, I am a podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from and your education and all that? Absolutely. So I was um, born in New York City, um, repping it here. Um, and I am Pakistani. So that's my heritage. Uh, and I lived in New York City up until I was eight years old. And then my family collectively decided to move back to Pakistan. So I'm talking about everyone moved. And it was a really interesting culture shock for sure. Um, and while I was there, I really connected with my culture, my religion, my people. And then when I turned 17, um, I went to college at Clarkson University in upstate New York. And I graduated there uh, with my bachelor's in psychology and a minor in neuroscience. And then after that, I got into the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, their Los Angeles campus. Mm -hmm. um, and there I was in my master's program for clinical psychology to be a therapist. But um, in my entire academic career, I've always been in the field of psychology, either as a researcher, as an intern, that's all I've ever known. So it was really interesting to always be in this field. And then afterwards, I trained at one of the most amazing centers in Los Angeles, the Maple Counseling Center, where I got the most brilliant supervision for my license. And then I worked with foster care after that. I got my own license and I started my own practice, which is called uh, Therapy in Color. And oh, um, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, my biggest passion in life was to be a therapist. Not for the reasons you would think. Everybody's like, you probably really wanted to help people. And I was like, yes. In essence, I did want to uh, really help people. But at the same time, I think my inner auntie, really um lit up and just needed to yeah. know everyone's business so it's like this this might be the way to go about it but I, but not the gossiping side they just i just need to know everything about everyone and i have a genuine passion and curiosity for people and i think that's how the podcast came about where it's like i cannot talk about my clients to uh with other people and their inspiring stories and how they've even helped me grow but the podcast came to be where it was like women who are like, I need, I need these stories to come out. I need other people to hear this amazing life. These women or these people within the South Asia, uh, Asian community have lived. Oh, oh. when did answer? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. So um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, you talk about your podcast. So tell me what was the inspiration of the podcast? You mentioned the pandemic, but you specifically focus on, is it Southeast Asian women or? 
Yeah, so it's it's a really interesting story. Um, I had a breakdown. Um, I was working two jobs. I was working in the foster care sector, so I did a lot of therapy with an. Um, with low socioeconomic youth. And, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, it must be so rewarding. And it really wasn't. It's a really broken system. And for me, it was like, I was doing therapy with them. I was feeling defeated because I would try to advocate for them and their work and nothing was happening, right? They're, the system is so brutally crippled that even those of us who try to help, we get laughed at by social workers if we try to report abuse. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, there's already an open DCFS case. and. And during that time, I had a couple of cases where I was feeling really helpless, where I was like, I'm doing therapy with these kids, I'm connecting with them, they're not getting the help that they need, because partially therapy is also environmental, like having mm. to make sure your environment is helping the work. Sure. So I was feeling defeated then, and I was working a lot. I was working two jobs. I was also trying to, you know, I'm, um, I was financially independent, so I was trying to make my own way in the world. And I burnt out at one point. And I remember one evening I was just crying and I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I just go from a screen all day to watching TV. And I was like, I don't, I feel like I'm in this robotic state. And I remember I was crying and I was like, I, I, I was on TikTok and everybody talks about how Target is amazing. And I was crying and I was like, someone just take me to Target. Maybe that's where the solution is. <laughs> so, that's um, so funny. It, it wasn't, it wasn't the solution, but it's a really good story that came out of it. But Did I you think buy anything? I didn't even make it to Target. I was so like, I got really close to it. I think I was like a mile away and I was like, let's just turn around. I was like, I can't do this. I was like, I don't know what I'm looking for. And we turned the car around and I went back home and then I just kind of sat there and I was like, I need something more. And I think at that point I was getting an influx of a lot of clients for my individual therapy. So outside of the foster care system and my, in the private practice I was at a, at that time. And I was like, I don't have more to give. I don't have right now in this capacity to be able to take on more. And my entire family is super creative. I'm the more academic, athletic one. And I always wanted to have a creative sort of space to go. So I was like, okay, let's, I like to listen to podcasts. I was like, let's start it. And then the more I sat down and I thought about it, I was like, I think the reason why I wanted to do the podcast, and I was thinking about this earlier before we sat down, because I was like, it's been a minute since I revisited that thought. It was the creativity and it was also representation and not representation in the more traditional sense. I think it's about the fact that I don't know women in the South Asian community who do the things that, that you do. I don't know people personally who have these artistic brands that they make. I don't know women who got out of horrible domestic violence situation personally, right? I know them as clients. I don't know them in the real world and how they made it out. And I don't know people who are living unconventional life. And for me, I think at one point it became personal. It's like, I'm the trailblazer in my family and in my social circle, I was like, I wish I had women to look up to who did life either differently or who were empowered and present them, but not in a way that's idealistic where it's like, oh my God, they did this amazing work that just came out of nowhere because they just knew what to do. I wanted to paint their story of like, how did you get here? Why did you get here? And how did your struggles 
allow you to be where you're at and then be successful. So what this does is it doesn't romanticize the struggle. It paints it in a very realistic light of this is what these women, these people in the South Asian community have gone through. This is what their life looks like right now. And this is how they got here, whether it's through coping skills, battling their own mental health issues. And here we can highlight and take tangible skills from their stories. Sure. So hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> I know it does. That's great. So um, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, where you are, where you're living right now. Where yeah. are you? Okay. Um, so since the pandemic happened, um, I was in Los Angeles originally, and then I escaped right before they started finding people for even walking on the beach, um, which was a thing. Super scary. Um, I went, I left, I gave up my apartment, I put everything on storage, me and my partner were like, this is not where we want to be if things shut down and we and it just it became really scary things were running out and la people were panicking we just left we left two years ago to incline village in tahoe stayed there two months and then very safely very responsibly we didn't interact with anyone it was our car to our airbnb and then we went to san diego and it was from our car to a friend's house and we stayed there for three months. And then it was at my partner's mother's house in Florida for five months. And then it was to Salt Lake City for another couple of months. Then it was to London for a couple of months. And then it was to Spain for five months. And now we're back in the States and we're back in Salt Lake City. So I am a nomadic traveler currently trying to understand where home is. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> exciting. That, that's a very... Um unique you know most people don't do that but that's great right it's good to be able to travel and visit mm -hmm. different places so mm -hmm. you have a lot of episodes out and tell me a little bit about how you organize your episodes i think with my episodes it's kind of like people who inspire me who i happen to come across because i've done a episode with you as well right i am on social media i um i am also you know like i'm on instagram i'm on i'm on tiktok and i'm the algorithm is very powerful. Um, it brings me all these amazing creators. And when I see it and I feel something and I feel inspired, I'm like, I just want to reach out to this person and see if they want to share their stories for you. The couple of TikToks that all of a sudden popped up, I was like, you know, Dr. Sadhif is awesome. And I, I need her Thanks. on. And that was how the mechanism is. I send an email, I reach out and I appreciate anyone's time that they put towards this because it's such a big resource for women in this community. And then I just, I'm like, let's schedule a date and get you on. Very cool. Um, now, have you had any other um, types of people on that you, you know, like, what are the type of what's the typical woman that you may have on your podcast? So the typical people within the South Asian community, I mean, it's coincidental that it is all women for now, I would hope to branch out. It's people who have, everyone has a story, right? It's a yeah. story that reaches me that I feel like we can all learn from. Therapy is very expensive. Therapy is time consuming and not everyone is ready for therapy. So for me, it's like, okay, I see this person's story. We can learn from it, right? It's kernels of not just trauma bonding, because what I'm noticing right now with the age of social media, with um, all these platforms is that there's a lot of trauma bonding going on because what we're talking about is, you know, oh, like you, you're um, anxious avoidant, um, you know, you have bipolar disorder and you have generalized anxiety disorder. And then those posts stop there, right? Now that I resonate with this, what am I supposed to do with it, right? 
So the women that I have on, they have either had some form of their own struggle, maybe not a disorder, but like maybe they have marital issues. Maybe they have parental conflict, uh, conflicts. Maybe they were the eldest daughter who took care of their entire family, right? How did they transition out of it, right? Did they have therapy? How did they have the awareness? What information helped them move forward in life? Whether it was a coping skill, whether it was, you know, hey, I, I'm able to go on walks daily and that helped me separate from my home environment enough to give me clarity to function day to day. You know, um, I had great social, um, I had a great social circle which added on to like my life. And I want to refer back to your episode and, and I stand by this when I said it when we recorded it too, where the ending moment where I asked you, you know, like if you had a kid, a daughter specifically, and if you wanted to have these hard conversations when it came to sex, when it came to body, and it came to all of this, your response genuinely moved me. Like, I was like, uh, I'm such a big crier, and I'm surprised that I don't cry as much in my sessions either. I don't think a client has ever seen me cry, but I've gotten very close. In that moment, I felt what you were saying, right? For me, it was so powerful. I was like, if any mom got to the end of that episode and just heard that part, of you being so human, even though you're a doctor and you're a sex coach and you have so much information and knowledge, at that ending part, your compassion towards that education is so, you know, empowering and beautiful and um, holding. And this is what we need women and people in our environment to be able to be open to and then take that as a skill, right? So then next time they have a child, they can sit down and be like, oh yeah, in that podcast episode, I heard Dr. Saada talk about this this way. Okay, so I have a little bit of preparedness and understanding, even in my own awkwardness. I, I kind of have a template. And this is how we grow out of the generational muteness that comes with being South Asian, specifically Desi and specifically within the Muslim community where speaking is so taboo. Hopefully that made sense. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely made sense. You know, I'm actually curious to find out like, you know, what type of mental health struggles do you see? You know, it, let's say within mm -hmm. the Muslim community, within the Southeast, uh, Southeast Asian communities, you know, what, what do you see? What do you tend to deal with most? I think the, it's all across the board, but I think recently there's just, there's a very common trauma that comes with being Desi, uh, that comes with being Muslim. I'm not saying this is, Everyone, I'm saying this is the majority. Parental conflicts are so big when it comes to how parents have caused a lot of trauma to children. So I run mm -hmm. a support group called um, Adults with Childhood PTSD from uh, Toxic Parents. When I put the advertisement, not the advertisement, but when I put it on one of my pages that it was like, hey, I'm running this group. Oh, please let me know if anyone's interested. I think within the span of a day, I had 100 emails. Oh, because wow. it resonated so strongly and that group is running right now and i i, yep. I would love to start like a, a couple of more groups with that but it shows right and that's not, uh, not just that theme in that group that's in my individual uh, therapy with the clients that i do it's that they feel like you know they weren't given coping skills by their parents they were told how to live life because that's the right way rather than prioritizing themselves and happiness so another common theme that comes up is people giving 110% into their environment and not to themselves. And then years down the line, getting resentful of that fact where, uh, where they function from the mentality that kindness breeds kindness in mm. the real world. This principle doesn't apply. 
right? You're expect, you have a silent expectation of the world to bring that kindness back to you. And it's been 20 years down the line and you've given everything out of the sake of kindness. And people are like, what is this? How did I not get repaid through karma? And the resentment and the mourning of that life that was imagined and this now, um, not perception, but this expectation you've created in the environment around you, right? Like, it's really hard for people to come to terms with that. Uh, uh, like, I don't know if that made sense, but it's kind of like, you know, I, she's always the nice one. Oh, you can always go to her for help. And then years later, they're like, nobody ever offered me help. But I yeah. thought that's how this mechanism worked. I thought it was, if I gave my kindness, I would receive it back. That's a really common theme that I see. I think prioritization and understanding wants and happiness is a, is a whole other ball game too, where I have people coming in and they're like, I thought this is supposed to make me happy because this is what I was told. And then we have an identity issue and an identity crisis within those moments where it's like, if this doesn't make me happy and that doesn't make me happy, how at this age am I supposed to understand what happiness is? And it takes work. It takes a lot of work. And then there's guilt, right? How can I be happy if other people in my life are struggling? How can I have positive relationships when I feel like I've been wronged somehow? And a lot of the people, this is a really interesting thing. A lot of the lack of coping skills is, is just, it blows my mind. And I'll give you a, an example of this, which is when my clients try to put boundaries and, and boundaries is another big one with their parents, especially, they always come back and they're like, they're going to die. And I'm like, what do you mean? my parents are going to die. You don't know. Like if I say this to them, they say that they're going to get a heart attack and die. And I'm like, wow, how is that possible? You're telling me that there's such a lack of coping skills within the South Asian and Desi community that if they get news, that's not easy for them to digest. They're going to have a heart attack. And in reality, they have panic attacks that get labeled as heart attacks because they have no coping skill. And this passes on from generation to generation, a lack of skills. And then you're in adulthood, right? You're working. You don't know how relationships are. You have these maladaptive communication skills like stonewalling. Um, and stonewalling, I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it's kind of like how our parents punish us through silence. And why would you punish your child? And now these adults are doing this with their spouses. It's like, I'm going to be quiet as a punishment to you. And I will not let you know why I'm upset, but I will let you sit in that discomfort come back to me, apologize first, and then I'll tell you what's wrong, whether it's your fault or not. And this across the board, I have not met a single DC person in my life who doesn't do this. And including okay. myself, I, this was some, a learned behavior I had in my earlier life. And when someone pointed it out, and when I was doing my own education and my own therapy, and I was learning to be a therapist, I was like, you're joking. I was like, you're joking. This is what I do. I hurt people that I love through my silence as a form of punishment rather than communicating, hey, I need some space right now. I can't articulate my needs. I'll come back to you. And then taking some moment, relaxing, coming back and saying, you hurt me. These are the reasons why I would appreciate an apology or I would appreciate us working on this. Is this something that you can give me and working from there? What are your thoughts on that? I've been rambling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, I think that we've all, either done that stonewalling or experienced oh. it, you know, exactly. and um, I think that that is a very important way of dealing with it, right? Letting people know that you need space and that you'll come back to them. I think that's an excellent way to deal with that situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm wondering, do you teach um, 
your clients or your patients, you know, coping skills you teach them? Do you have like courses or what do you do for that? So for me, and this is another thing, right? When I have clients who do intakes with me, um, one of the things that I say is, listen, there's a reason you're in therapy, right? Because you can go to any Barnes and Nobles, you can pick up books on healthy coping skills, you know where to find this information. The reason we're in therapy is because we're working on the symptoms right now, right? We're working on what's not allowing you to apply these coping skills because you have your own trauma. You have to have the trauma resolved and have an understanding of this lack of adaptation to be able to implement the coping skill. We can't go from being like, oh, I don't have this coping skill to coping skill and implementation, right? Because some of these things feel like common sense, but the roadblocks that we have internally because of our unresolved traumas is what holds us back, right? And to this day, like the people who do practice coping skills, it takes time and practice for it to naturally occur. Yeah. But you have to be in the right mental state to first accept that you need the coping skill and understand where the need of that coping skill, coping skill is. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 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 But I don't teach a course. It just naturally occurs in therapy. <laughs> maybe I should. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should. You know, um, it's. I think one of the biggest things, right, for therapy is to realize that you need it, right? So some people need therapy, but then mm-hmm. are very hesitant to seek it mm-hmm. out, especially um, in our communities, I think, and perhaps the Muslim communities. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a huge stigma, right, with mental health in just society in general, but I think especially in our communities as well. So, you know, how do you deal with that? How do patients even find you? Um, so if anybody wants to find me, normally they can just Google me, <laughs> which is the easiest way. But I, I'm on a couple of directories. I'm on Psychology Today under my name, which is Summer Harun, uh, LMFT, which stands for Licensed Marital and Family Therapist. People can always get in touch with me via email, which is Summer Harun uh, at Therapy in Color. Color is spelled the British way. And my name is spelled as S-A-M-A-R. So there's a lot of, I realized after I created all of these things that I was like, it's really hard to like <laughs> communicate that. I have to spell everything out. Um, and then you can always find me on my podcast, which is What's the Chai? Um, and What's the Chai official on Instagram. And you can DM me, even if you feel like you're not ready for therapy and you just want a conversation. Um, I always say this, I try to make time. I know that therapy is a luxury for a lot of people. And I try to give back to the community by making myself available to ask questions and record my episodes as a creative outlet and as something therapeutic. Very nice. Tell me a little bit about your marital uh, therapy and counseling. So um, do you provide like couples therapy or is it like, you know, the, the wife or the husband or how does that work? How do you do that? So my licensed, uh, my license is for a marital and family therapist and it is more um, family focused. I think, it's interesting. They're just like lots of different licenses. And that is just one of the specialities, I guess, at this point. Um, I do individual therapy, I do couples therapy, I do group therapy, I do family therapy. And then within those categories, I do premarital therapy and uh, pre inception therapy. And what that is, is that before you have children, you should like you before you get married, you have pre uh, pre uh, marital counseling, you should have preconception counseling. I, if the one thing I have learned in my um, career is the need for this is you need to have conversations surrounding why you want children. What does it mean to have children? What are the dynamics within the family and how the children are raised? Are you guys on the same page and making sure everything you would do for your relationship in premarital um, counseling should be applied even before you have children. And 
I think this, nobody does this very specifically. I specifically put it out there. This is a niche, but most therapists would do this if you, if you were to have a conversation with them for sure. You know, I think that's so important because oh, yeah. you know, oftentimes I'll, I'll see patients, you know, as an OBGYN, obviously I'm delivering babies and, you know, I'll often run into patients that, you know, didn't really want to have or be pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, they carry it or, you know, they, for whatever reason, they end up, you know, giving the baby up for adoption. And, mm -hmm. um, and although there's nothing wrong with that, and people have to, you know, people understand their own limitations. I always think that it's a great idea to have this inception, right, therapy and counseling so that you mm -hmm. can know your motivation for having a baby and mm -hmm. whether or not you're ready to have one. And if that's something that you really want, I think those are really very important conversations to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And within that, so many subtopics come up too, like, um, like, uh, money, right? Like finances, how much are you willing to allocate towards the children? How many children, what are the values that you're raising them with? What kind of expectations are there for the mother and the father? What does working look like? So many things are tied into the child. And, and I think, you know, with the South Asian community, there's always this kind of expectation, like you just have babies and, you know, have them, Allah will take care of all of it. And that's a mentality, right? But that doesn't mean it's free for all, right? You also have to understand your own limitations as a human yeah. being. You have to know what your limits are. I can definitely say that I've met a lot of people, whether it's my personal or professional life, that they should have stopped at child one, right? It not only destroyed a part of themselves, it destroyed their marriage to an extent, and then they destroyed the children who came after them by not feeling wanted, by not feeling loved, by being neglected. And you should never bring a child into this world knowing that you can't give them above the bare minimum because you cannot come into this world and be like, well, you know, a really, you know, popular saying that, that I've heard clients hear from their parents as well. You were fed, you were educated and you had a roof over your head. What do you have to complain about? And that is the most dismissive and painful thing for people to hear because that's the bare minimum. That's a responsibility you has as a, have as a parent to be able to shelter uh, your child, to clothe them, to feed them, to educate them. And then another bare minimum is being able to provide their emotional needs, right? And not be neglectful of them. Because then sure. we're in that generation where they realize how much trauma has come to these adults who didn't get loved properly, right? Who developed a lot more mental health issues because as adults, then they seek out these relationships that are toxic because they never felt loved. So anyone who gives them like a drop of love, they just latch onto it as strong as they can because it's a feeling that is so rare for them. It is, mm -hmm. it's, it comes out of a drought, that love, you know? And it, it's very sad to hear and it's very, very concerning for sure. Sure, sure. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your patients that you talk to about like sex therapy? Do you provide so that for your clients? So my speciality isn't within the field. I think that's your speciality. <laughs> but um, I have a lot of clients um, right now in the recent years who've come to me who are out of the traditional marital age, right? So they're over 25, which is really funny to me. And they're either Muslim or they're conservative Indian um, or Hindu or, you know, they just come from like the Pakistan, Nepali, Bhutan, um, India, all that region, and they come and they talk about, you know, I am not ready to have sex. 
I am not at that place. I feel like I'm old now and nobody wants to marry me. Or they come at the this place where they're like, you know, can someone marry me? Like I'm inexperienced. They have a poor relationship with their body. They have a poor understanding of sex. Um, I have heard horror stories for people who've been traumatized because of a lack of education when it comes to proper understanding of their own anatomy. They've ended up in the hospital because it's mm. like two uninformed adults trying to figure it out for the first time, right? After they get married. And sometimes it goes really poorly. Sometimes it goes horribly wrong. And it is because, you know, like Dr. Sada, even on your TikTok, it was like, you know, how many women were surprised that they have like um, three holes in their body, which is, you know, uh, the anus, the vagina, and um, what they, Piata, which is urethra. Your, urethra, thank you so much. And even, you know, like, and mishaps happen. And then there's trauma related to that, right? And then you have these other women who just don't know how to relax themselves and they have a lot of pain association with it. With it. And it's also because of things they've heard from other people, right? Like it's super painful, you know, sex isn't pleasurable, you know, you're just there to like satisfy your husband. And it's a lot of this mentality that you have to break and understand where it comes from, right? And a lot of it is misconception within the culture and lack of research and understanding. And it's because there's no one to provide that. Nobody to tell them and sit them down and be like, this is your body. You can look at your body. This is the way you get pleasure. You're allowed to have pleasure. Um, and instead, they're in a situation where they just have sex. It's super painful and they develop an aversion to it. That's what I encounter the most. And, and there's a lot of work that goes into that. Right, right. So how do you help them to overcome some of the trauma? that they've experienced during, you know, intercourse or, mm -hmm. you know, how they see themselves. I know that, mm -hmm. you know, sex therapists also deal with a lot of body image issues. Oh, yeah. Right. And um, mm -hmm. things like that. So for me, two things, right? I look at my limitations there too. Is this something that a sex therapist or a sex coach would be the best for them? Because it's more like navigating the goal oriented stuff. I'll work more on the trauma related things, right? So for example, if you're they're noticing their body is locking up, we're going to take a break on sex for a little bit, right? We're not going to have sex for maybe a month until you and your partner are at that comfortable level, right? Over here, we explore your um, uh, arousal zones and we look, we, we're like, okay, so where do you experience pleasure, right? We don't need to go into penetration. We need to understand like, or processing the incident. I think that's actually, I, I, I'll retract that. The first thing is processing what happened, right? Processing what the first time was like, processing the pain, understanding what that was like, going through the fear, validating the experience as being that, and then kind of like exposure therapy, gradually bringing them back into a place where they can experience sex. And that might come from, you know, first we need to work on communication, right? Can you or your partner respect your nose? Can your partner, and you develop more safety, right? Are you scared? Is that a result of this traumatic incident? Okay, you're scared. Let's bring back safety in the relationship. Does safety mean physical safety? Okay, no physical safety. Let's start with just environmental safety, right? Maybe your partner and you can sit close together. Maybe you can hold hands. Maybe you can touch and caress. And then we evolve step by step by step by step and see if there's, there's a capacity there, right? Sometimes it does become more medical where the psychological gets converted into um, the physiological, which is vaginismus, right? Here, I would go to the OBGYN. I'd be like, you need to go to the doctor. You need to see, we need to like maybe get you on some sort of like a relaxant at times. This is not my expertise, but 
my go-to thing for anything physical is always go to your doctor. Even if we know for a fact that it might start being, it starts with the psychological, we always want to rule out the medical. Always. Because we do not know what's happening. And that is not within my scope of practice to say that, you know, this could just be a psychological thing. We always want to make sure we go through the high kind of like the hierarchy of steps. Okay, the doctor ruled it out that this is more psychological. You don't need meds. You just need more trauma-informed therapy. Let's start with that and then do a checkup in two months and see how it goes, right? Because what if there's a tear in your vagina as well, right? And we're doing all this stuff and you don't realize it because you don't have a good relationship with your body and we're trying to get you more comfortable with sex, but every time there's insertion, it rips or there's pain. And we're not aware of it and people are just like, oh, the hymen broke and that's why she was bleeding. There's so many layers to it, but it's a lot of work goes into it as well. So, right, right, right. You know, you mentioned safety. You know, you were talking about that, and actually, my um, the the author that I had on earlier in the day, um, Mr. Habib, um, you know, it was uh, Habib Akande, and uh, he actually mentioned something similar in terms of providing a safe environment. You know, in terms of female pleasure and intimacy. You know, it's so important to, even if she's your wife, right, to have consent, to to have that intimacy, to have that, provide that safety in that relationship mm -hmm. so that, you know, a woman can experience pleasure, right? She's not going to experience pleasure if she's nervous or if she's worried or if she's scared, anxiety, all those things happening, you know, that it's not going to happen for her in terms of experiencing pleasure. Absolutely. And there's a psychological component to this too, right? Like, think of this with uh, women who have a drier vagina, right? Where they don't have the lubrication. And I've encountered women who are like, I don't want to use lube, right? I just want my body to be able to do these things. Like, it's natural. Why can't I give pleasure to my partner like this? Why is it painful? Why is it that our sex gets interrupted? And it's the mentality here that we really have to um, understand where it's like, you know, it's okay, it's okay to be able to get help to make these things easier for you, right? You don't have to make this a complete, um, not a personal thing, there's a better way to phrase this, kind of like you failed somehow. That's another thing, a, feel, a feeling of failure in those moments. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Actually, there's a, one, a physician um, who has a podcast that uh, is called You Are Not Broken. So mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, it's very important for women to understand that, right? Mm -hmm. um, to have like a safe space so that they can experience the pleasure. Um, now tell me a little bit about uh, your own upbringing. How was that? <laughs> That's really interesting. I don't think I've ever gone onto a media platform and actually talked about that. And and it, it is a little interesting, right? Because I have a few clients who might, might cannot confirm or deny this, might fall only on my, um, on my channels. And the way you're... I was about to say brought up as a therapist, the way you're trained as a therapist is like, we're the blank slate, right? And and this has been a recent thing where I'm putting my personality out there on social media. And that's been really personally challenging. Um, I was raised in a very interesting duality of a household. So the way I was raised up until the age of eight, it was all um, liberal, um, super like, I was in New York City, right? It was one of the most awesome times of my life when I was born up until eight. It was so awesome because I grew up with the coolest mom you can imagine. Um, she would take me rollerblading and ice skating and playing in the park. And, you know, Blue's Clues was a thing. And I had that cute, like, Blue's Clues notebook. And I was sitting in front of the TV and draw. Like, I have a lot of enriched memories. 
Um, and when we went to Pakistan, I think the culture shock for me personally really was a big hit because the, uh, the environment we moved into was the exact extreme of my own childhood. So it was very, very conservative. I'm talking about like, you can't step out of the house, even though the house is gated, without having one person go outside and tell people to go away because a female is entering outside there was a very interesting dynamic at play so i i was raised in both dualities and um i think uh i had uh, a little bit of my own identity crisis when i moved back to the states because then i've i've spent my uh uh late childhood all of my teen years in pakistan and then we're back to the states you know i've never been around people who drank or did drugs it was really interesting um, and it was it was about understanding where I stood in a lot of those things. And I think a really big point of my growth and my upbringing was how tolerant I became. Because I can definitely say I was super intolerant uh, growing up because when you only see one thing and when there's a lack of education and a lack of exposure, you will evidently have a black and white thinking and the world isn't black and white. The world functions in a spectrum of gray. And that was the biggest thing that I learned. Um, I, but I had really, really cool people around me growing up as well. I think I'm, I'm very fortunate to have the spectrum of experiences that I had. My grandfather from my mom's side was the coolest human being you could, you could imagine. Um, there was a lot of religion in it, which was super cool. I remember, uh, I have these really cool memories where he would like right before school, I was in my uniform and in Pakistan, he'd be like, you know, read this, read this prayer and the surah and watch. Everybody's just going to be amazed at what you say all day. And I would read these like ayats and surahs and I'd be like, oh my God, everyone's going to listen to me. And I would go to school the next day. Nothing changed. I was like, you lied to me. I was like, no one was listening. So, but there was a lot of comicalness in that as well. There was a lot of love in that environment. Um, I, I, I love Pakistan personally. I go back as often as I can, my entire family lives there. And, and that culture has the most richness and a lot of beauty in it. And that's how I was raised. I was raised in a duality of liberalism and then hyper conservatism. And I'm a hybrid of both. And I think the older I'm getting, I'm still trying to understand where I stand in that. The most vaguest answer I could give you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very good. very good. I should have been a lawyer in a different lifetime. I, I'm going to be pretty honest. <laughs> So tell me, um, you know, as we're starting to wrap up a little bit, what are some takeaways, do you think, for people that are joining or that, you know, are listening into what you have to say in terms of mental health and, you know, mm -hmm. seeking out mental therapy, mental health therapy? Mm -hmm. I think the first thing I would say is there's no shame. I know we've been taught to be to feel crazy if we seek out help, that there's something inherently wrong in us. I think the first thing is there's absolutely nothing wrong with us. I think we just need to have an understanding of ourselves, right? Even if you have anxiety, if you have depression, you are not broken, you are not a bad person. You, there's nothing inherently that you should feel shame about. There's nothing there, even if you do feel the shame. And your mental health journey is your own. You can start whenever you want and you can stop whenever you want. It is about you. It is about no one else. And I think that's my biggest thing to put out there is that when you start your mental health journey, do not try to cater to other people. And 
you know, lo kya kenge, what will people say? Because people will always talk and it would always take away from you. When you're ready, start therapy. And if you're not ready, utilize resources like, you know, my podcast or your Instagram as well, or your TikTok, which gives you enough information that maybe it keeps you satisfied for longer. And when you're curious, reach out to your medical professional or healthcare providers, right? Like your therapists, your doctors, to continue the conversation. And hopefully you have a supportive environment. And I think that's just the first and most basic space to start from is that know that when hopefully you seek out help, there are going to be people there to help you who will value you and really take the time to understand your needs and be able to provide that for you. Your therapy is about you. Your therapist is there to serve you and cater to your life in order to help you. So always know that you're not trying to fit into anyone else's box. We're just trying to get you to a healthier, happier life. Hmm? Right. Have you ever had people like um, seek out your help in confidence, like, you know, go out and secrecy and say that, well, I can't talk right now. I have to go outside or oh, yeah. I can't talk. My parents are here, things like that. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Uh, on a daily. Um, I do have a bunch of clients who do therapy from their car or they do. <laughs> it's really funny because it's at night sometimes. And I'm like, guys, please lock your cars and make sure you're safe. This looks like a really shady drug deal that's <laughs> happening. And it's like they're just sitting in their car having therapy, right? Um, I've had people go on walks and have therapy. They can sit in their car. They do it at work where they feel a little bit safer. And I think it is hard, right? When you're, when you're trying to have this experience that's your own and you have to feel like, you know, there's judgment or there's fear. You don't need to explain your experience to anyone. You're allowed to do what makes you feel safe in that moment. You know, you don't have to come out to anybody that you are, uh, in your own therapy journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, I just want, um, you know, our viewers and whoever joined in just to know how they can reach out to you and contact you and uh, how they can listen to your podcast. Absolutely. So you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Apple iTunes. You can find me on Google Podcasts. Anywhere where you can find a podcast, you can find What's the Chai, which is uh, I'm the podcast host of that. If you just uh, logged in if you want to reach out to me and have questions regarding therapy um you can reach out to me by email or even dm me on my instagram page which is what's to try official but you can email me at uh summerharoon at therapyandcolor.com and again color is spelled c-o-l-o-u-r the british spelling and my name is spelled as s-a-m-a-r please feel free to reach out with any questions i would love to be supportive Okay, excellent. Well, thanks so much, Summer. Thank and, you. Um, I think we'll log off now, but thanks again. And hopefully we can collaborate and do some more uh, live sessions. Yeah. And hopefully all your audience can await because your episode on my podcast is going to release soon as well. So super exciting stuff coming your way. All right. Thank you. Thanks so thank much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.